Good morning, Outlook. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, let me just say, our team members have been really great sports about being in these challenge card videos. Uh, and if you have been enjoying those or the posts we've had about them on social media, and you're like, these people are having a lot of fun, um, we are having a lot of fun. So I just want to mention that if you're not a part of a team and want to talk about it, let's start a conversation because we do um, think it's really fun to worship and serve God together uh, in that variety of ways. So I get to serve with hospitality and um, that I laugh every time I watch that video. So now this morning, uh, Rob's not here. Our senior minister is gone. My name is Kate Mangano. I'm the Connection and Care Minister on staff. Uh, I got to meet a few guests this morning, so I just wanted to say welcome, and I'm not normally the person uh, up here. But uh, this morning, Rob has invited me to finish this iteration of our Live Free series. Now, we do Live Free every so often. This is an opportunity to talk about how our spiritual health absolutely has something to do with our mental and emotional health. This is the place that they intersect. And so this iteration of Live Free has largely been looking at the art and practice of self-care. Now, I believe uh, self-care is a little confused in our culture today, and I'll tell you why. It might not mean what we think it means or how we use the word, because self-care uh, is not meant to numb us. Self-care, I think today, is used a lot for escapism. It's an opportunity to forget reality. Uh, treat yourself if you're a Parks and Rec person. Um, but self-care, really, uh, is supposed to be something that fills us. It's supposed to put us more in tune with ourselves and with our needs and with our heart uh, and fill us, re-energize, and prepare us to re-enter the world filled with compassion. When I turned 30, I decided to put aside my long-standing fear of the doctor uh, for my betterment. I decided the mature thing to do is to practice preventative care, which meant that I had to find a doctor and go for a physical. Now, I have, the medicine gives me like the whole heebie-jeebies, and we don't have to get into all of that, but I had a bullet point list of some weird issues. I was like, I should probably talk to somebody about this. Uh, the last of which being just like this spot on my back that my husband kept pointing out, hey, this like weird lump is growing bigger, and like you should talk to someone about that. Um, and so it wasn't anything significant. I'm completely fine, like it's not worth reporting on, and if you're also heebie-jeebied, I'm not gonna like talk to you about medical things now. Uh, but when I tell you that I decided to bypass my fear and go to the doctor, be mature and an adult about it, and not four months later, I was being wheeled into an operating room by another man who tells me he doesn't go to the doctor uh, for surgery, I was not pleased with my decision to take care of myself. Not pleased. Self-care does not always feel good. It is not always the thing we would choose or want to do. It required me, in this case, to be at the hands of other people, uh, especially when my recovery didn't go as planned. And so for months, I had to have other people help me with taking care of this wound on my back that I had willingly inflicted on myself in the name of betterment and health. And... Frankly, it would have been easier for me to ignore the problem and continue on as normal. I had been doing that for multiple years up to that point. But that wasn't going to make it go away. It was still getting bigger. And it was starting to affect me consciously, uh, even though it had been affecting me physically for a really long time at that point. 
but I told myself, I have things to do. I have other people to take care of. I have a toddler at home. That's a whole lot of work. Taking care of yourself is easier to do when it is on the back burner, forgotten, out of sight, out of mind, maybe boiling over and burning on the stove. Does that refrain sound relatable to anybody here this morning? And so as we open scripture today, I am talking to the superheroes, to the martyrs, to moms and dads, to the hustlers, the overwhelmed, the heartbroken, and the fatigued. I'm talking to the caregivers. Because Rob has granted me, gifted me the topic, taking care of ourselves while we care for others. Now, one thing I know to be true, Outlook, is that you are caregivers. You are a caring and compassionate people. You are servants. You are helpers. I know many of your stories. I know the aging parents that you are helping. I know the spouse you are caring for as their health continues to decline. I know the um, ways you are walking alongside your adult children, the ways you are fighting for people who are in active addiction, the ways you are coming alongside people in crisis. And I know many of you are also in fields of care. You work in nonprofits, you work in school systems and therapy sessions and medical offices. And can I say, I think it can all start to get a little heavy and maybe it might weigh a little too much if we're trying to carry it all ourselves. What else do I know to be true? First, there is always too much to do. Can we agree with that? There is always too much to do. The list does not end, the needs do not go away. Thank goodness it is not all on us to do, though it may feel that way. The second thing I know is to give care is to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I want to speak that because this work isn't glamorous. It's mostly done in secret. It is arduous and thankless and bound to break our hearts. But when you show up faithfully, in spite of these things, as a representation of Jesus, that is a way that you share in the heart of God. That is a really good thing. And third, your care and compassion to others is not an excuse to neglect your own care. That is a hazardous and disastrous choice that we have the opportunity to make one way or the other. Jesus always had more work to do. And he developed a very predictable routine to the way that he cared for others and for himself. So we are going to start in the book of Mark today, chapter 1. This is how Mark launches Jesus onto the scene for his active years of ministry. Chapter 1, I'm starting in verse 21. It'll be on the screen as well. Well, actually it won't because it's a lot. So that's, this is uh, a highlight of what, is, what I'm about to read to you. Verse 21, they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all amazed, and they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. This is key. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. The chapter continues. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to, be, to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. 
They immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, he took her hand, helped her up, the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Whew. Teaching, casting out an impure spirit, healing uh, miraculously, all on the Sabbath. That is a full day worthy of going home, putting your feet up, and calling it done till tomorrow. But the chapter continues. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, would not let them speak because they knew who he was. You guys, I'm tired reading that. This is not an unusual day in the life of our Jesus, but it was a full one. From sun up, way past sundown, Jesus is on. He is healing people. He is teaching. He is showing compassion. He was ministering. He was hands-on. And I am sure he was exhausted. But at the same time, Jesus was accessible. He was gracious. He was every bit the Jesus that we know him to be. Mark Moore writes a commentary on this last scene that I just read. He says, the sun is setting and the whole city comes out to Jesus, remembering that this is the Sabbath day and that the holy day runs from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. These people are coming to Jesus at the very first possible legal time. He says this is one of the most touching scenes in the Bible. Do you catch it? As dusk gives way to early evening and as stars begin to appear one by one, cots and stretchers fill the streets all around Peter's house without opposition or antagonism, the master walks by each sick person surrounded by their families and he touches them individually. Each one is healed. Each one has a smile on their face, surely including Jesus. Tears of joy flow through the streets. Laughter is heard from corner to corner in Capernaum. We can't imagine this crowd dissembling until the early morning hours and up early the next morning again they would be in search of their healer. Jesus' whole heart was his ministry to people. And after this very, very long day, deep into the night, we read, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus has this pattern in his ministry, and we see it. It's one of the first things we learn about him in the first chapter of Mark. He immerses himself in the thick of people's brokenness and need and sickness. He is right there in the middle of it. And then he leaves to go to a lonely place. Hold on to that. A couple verses later, in the same chapter, he is back at it. A man with leprosy came to him. They begged him on his knees. He said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. The translation says, Jesus was filled with compassion. He reached out his hand and he touched that man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And against Jesus' request, the dude went and told everybody what he did. And the chapter ends, as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So immediately, this becomes a necessity for Jesus, a reality of his ministry that he is swarmed everywhere he goes. The people track him like paparazzi, looking to get what they need out of him, what they want out of him. And he responds graciously, always. He meets them where they're at. But it also, completely understandably, zaps him. 
and he needs to go away to rest and to recharge, to be filled up before he continues. See, Jesus spent three years in this intense period of consistent hands-on ministry. And here's the rhythm. Jesus is filled with compassion. We see that over and over and over again uh, in the text of the Gospels. Jesus is filled with compassion. That compassion moves him to action. Jesus doesn't just feel bad for someone or go, oh, that's sad. Uh, But he actively uh, participates in their healing. And then he leaves. He goes away and rests. This is his rhythm. He goes away, rest, retreat to recharge, and repeat. Guys, Jesus does this all the time. In the Gospel of Luke, we read that Jesus went away to lonely places no less than nine different times. Do you know that feeling of being so completely worn down by the needs of everybody around you or the situations that you're hearing and you're just taking in? I think a lot of you do. And maybe it's just one person, maybe it's a whole system of, of people, a classroom full of students just um, constantly trying to wear down your boundaries, you realizing how desperately they need you. Maybe they're telling you that, or you're waiting for the next like crisis or the other shoe to drop. And maybe you're not aware of how your body and your soul absorb these interactions and needs and stressors. See, Jesus and his disciples constantly experienced something called secondary trauma. And my own definition of that is this. Secondary trauma is bearing witness to or sharing the load of somebody else's trauma. So it's not happening to you. You're a degree separated from it, the load of someone else's big T or small T traumas, but it has an effect on you. See, Jesus on earth, he was fully God, but he was still fully human. He was led by compassion. And there is no way that the trauma of others would not have affected him in some way. If you are in the compassionate work of ministry, vocationally or interpersonally, secondary trauma will most likely affect us in one way or another in some level. And so Jesus routinely left for his own self-care. Jesus left needs unmet, people still looking for him because they were sick or hurting, and he found silence and solitude and stillness so that he could be with the Father and that he could be filled and unburdened by him to continue the work he had to do. And so if we, just, I'm going to say it, lesser humans, uh, are to join Jesus in his work of compassion ministry, and we don't think we require the same thing, If we keep going without processing these traumas or being aware of what they're doing to us, we shrivel up, we burn out. That's what happens. And we're no good to anybody as a result. Now, Rob sent me this cute little picture on uh, Instagram this week uh, that, that illustrates this. You have to care for yourself, rest, sleep, alone time, to be able to care for others, empathy, guidance, kindness. The idea here is that if the hose is not putting water in the bucket... There's nothing coming out of the bucket. We have to be filled up to pour out. This isn't a new concept to us. We know that cognitively. A little harder to put into practice. And as believers, we know as buckets, our water source is God. And so this is Jesus' rhythm. He begins unleashing his disciples for ministry, and he wants to build that into them as well. We have more examples of this. And he invites us to this, to duplicate himself, to spread the work around and to mirror this model. Seriously, I told you at the beginning, Jesus 
is a caregiver. The ways that you model compassion and giving care is a way that you model the heart of Jesus. It's a, it's a way that we represent him to the world around us. So it's important and it's good. We have to do it the right way. In Matthew 9, we see this other marathon stint of Jesus caring for people. Uh, He has been healing left and right. A man paralyzed, the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, a dead girl, two different blind men, a man who was mute and plagued by a demon. And at the end of the chapter, Jesus has this interchange with his disciples. Verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus sees that the needs are many. They are overwhelming. And this prayer is for God's coming church to be mobilized. Like, we got stuff to do. And the very first thing he does in the next chapter is have the disciples answer their own prayer by sending them out in pairs. Mark 6 says that Jesus went around teaching from village to village. He called the 12 to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. They healed people. They taught. And so they spend the whole chapter, largely stuff we don't get to see, doing amazing things for Jesus. And they come back so, so jazzed. And they're just like word dumping all over him, stories and things that they want to tell him. And verse 30 says, the apostles gathered around Jesus. They reported to him all they had done and taught. And then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, let's, let's go. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus is going to introduce them to this practice firsthand. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But... Many who saw them leaving recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because, again, they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. Now, isn't that, like, just typical? You have respite planned, and it just goes straight out the window. Rob's talked during this series about uh, having limits, setting boundaries, practicing Sabbath. And as you can see from Jesus' own life, nobody else is going to make that easy for you to do. Nobody else is going to be like, oh, no, it's fine. I can wait. This particular interruption leads to a very familiar story. This is the chapter where Jesus feeds the 5,000. One a lot of us know really well, but we don't usually notice what's happening on either side of the story. This comes from an interruption of rest. And when Jesus responds with compassion, he, he meets them where they're at. He performs an amazing miracle. He does not lose sight of the care that he and his disciples need. Because as the story ends, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat, go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. The chapter ends, wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countrysides, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. No matter the season of calm or like intense care, Jesus was consistent with this rhythm of keeping rest and self-care a priority. And so how do we do that? How do we join Jesus in compassion ministry in the way that he modeled, uh, in a way that our good intentions do not destroy us, and that we have longevity in being able to walk with people well? In the midst of the mess, 
because there's always going to be mess. Jesus touched people. Society deemed unclean. He had uncomfortable conversations with people to get to the heart of their sin and release them from shame and work toward healing. Um, We go to that place with him. But we also then acknowledge the toll of secondary trauma, and then we respond appropriately. At a minimum, this requires space for you to recognize what someone else's trauma has stressed has done to your own body and mind and soul. And leaving this unmanaged is not caring for yourself. So these are some of the signs, really. Unmanaged secondary trauma is going to look like we have cognitive, emotional, behavioral, physical. It's going to look like you can't focus. It's going to look like all you can think about is the crisis happening in somebody else's life. It's going to look like your fuse is getting shorter and shorter and you're quicker to anger, like you're numb and you just don't feel maybe any emotions anymore. It's going to feel like I don't want to be around people. Or when I am, I am tired of them and I want to go home. Introverts, I understand this is how we feel a lot of the time, but it's, it's different. Um, it's going to feel like sleep problems. It's going to feel like even I'm getting sick a lot more. I'm sore and I'm tired. The physical tolls that it take. See, a lot of this can happen to us and we don't even connect it back to the situations that we're dealing with. We don't connect it back holistically to our lives. So it doesn't feel like it's affecting us all that much. So we have to acknowledge it. We have to call it what it is. We have to be conscious of our mental and emotional and bodily responses to stressors and secondary trauma in our lives. And then joining Jesus in compassion ministry means going a step further, not just acknowledging the toll, but doing something about it. It requires that we do what Jesus did. We get away. Not to be a caregiver, but to be cared for by the giver of all good things. This is what Jesus did and what he helped his disciples learn how to do. And now getting to, uh, to a way to be with Jesus is a moving target, uh, especially for the disciples. We see that they're like notoriously bad about being in the stillness with Jesus. They fall asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. He'll be like, please stay and pray with me for this meaningful time. And they're like knocked out unconscious. They can't focus. And it's true. Like I get it. It's hard. And if you haven't experienced this richness before, it sounds a lot Uh, like something that only adds to your load rather than lightens it. Like, oh, this sounds like another thing I have to figure out how to do while everything else is on fire behind me. And so we started doing this thing in our monthly staff meeting this year where Rob will gather all of us and then, like, dismiss us for quiet time. We'll turn off all the um, noise, and you're just supposed to sit in stillness and be with God. And now the first time we did it, it was three minutes. Afterwards, he asked us what we thought. One person in the room voiced what I think was like, uh, what several people were probably thinking, which was like, what the heck was that? He did not like it. It was uncomfortable. It was hard. Focus was fleeting. And so the next month, I was, I was running it. Rob was gone somewhere else. So I asked them to do it for 12 minutes. Some people were totally down. A couple, I could feel the palpable apprehension radiating off of their bodies. Like, why are we doing this again? And why are you making it so much longer? But the same guy finished the 12, and he was like, oh. He sat there long enough to figure out how to slow down his brain and quiet his mind. He sat there quiet enough. He sat there still enough to experience a taste of the lighter burden that comes with not having to do it all or be all things. And it felt good, calming, unburdensome, just for a moment. 
he said that time went quickly. I think I could have got him to sit there longer. So I know this is hard to do. And honestly, it feels better sometimes not to stop, to be the hero, to be the martyr, because sometimes we're finding our identity and our purpose in that. We have to realize that about ourselves. It, it, sometimes we do it because it makes us feel needed or makes us feel important or because our involvement and care gives us a sense of control. Like, if I'm not doing this, then X, Y, or Z will happen. The whole situation will implode. I'm the only one holding it together. But at the same time, we're subjecting ourselves to harm. We misplace our identity and our value in caregiving. Let me just say, like, you are not the work you do. You are not the care that you give to people. You are more than that. And the people that you're caring for, that you're fighting for, Jesus cares about them more than you do. That's a good thing. He does because he's God and we're not, and his care and his love are completely unburdened. And so knowing that and like recognizing that hopefully gives us some perspective and some permission to catch our breath. And beyond just physically resting, that includes finding a way to also take a break mentally from it. You're not talking about it. You're not thinking about the care that you're giving. Find your cathartic moment. My husband is a counselor. He says, cry, shout into a pillow, chop down a tree, do whatever uh, you can to release the tension and the stress physically from your body. And then when you have some time and space, you can check in with yourself. A good way to check in with yourself is to use this acronym. It's called PIES uh, that I'll explain to you really briefly. Uh, physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual. So let's do this really quickly. How are you physically feeling right now? Are you aware of that? Are the seats comfortable? Are you hot? Are you cold? Are you hungry? Intellectual, what were you thinking about the last time you zoned out because I was boring you for a few minutes in the last 20 minutes? Where does your mind go when it wanders? What are you thinking about? Emotional, how do you feel? Do you know what your emotions are right now? Spiritual, how do you feel about your connection with God? This is a good tool to be able to stop and to start practicing checking in with our own selves and using that to check in with God. What's really going on with me when I'm focusing on that instead of just everything going on around me? It's important to be honest enough with ourselves to know if we're having a hard time stepping away, especially if caregiving is eating into our identity and our health and what hard decisions might need to be made to keep from falling into a hole ourselves, how we might need to ask for help or set some boundaries. Counseling may be a necessary tool for you to work through secondary trauma or to maintain your health as you continue uh, to give care to others. You know, um, Jesus, we know that when he rested, when he recharged, it was through his time with God the Father. Jesus had a rich and active prayer life because he needed it. And so keep that in mind, that honestly, with rest and recoup we need, it only comes from then taking the space to be mindfully with God, talking to him, listening to him, resting in him, letting him take your burden onto himself, letting him define who you are and the role you have in giving care to other people. Knowing how to go about directly interacting with God may be something very mysterious and far off to you. It may be just something that fills you with apprehension every time I start talking about it. Uh, So it's worth noting, Rob's been talking about it for weeks, but next Sunday night we're going to have a prayer service. 
it's going to be an hour in the student loft. You can participate personally as much or as little as you want. Honestly, nobody else in the room is going to be able to tell if you're completely checked in or completely checked out. But if you would like to get a taste of the thing that carried Jesus through his earthly ministry, I want to invite you to join us at that. Now, during Jesus' earthly ministry, as we wrap up today, I have been reflecting on this. He was fully God but fully human, and so he was absolutely susceptible to confession fatigue and to burnout. God the Father, however, is not. God the Father has a limitless capacity to care for us and for our needs and for everybody else. He has an unending reserve of compassion and mercy and grace for us. Praise God (laughs) that we will come now to the communion table knowing a God like that. So if you grabbed one on the way in, go ahead and grab grab your communion. Before we take the elements in front of us, I want you to take just a moment to rest and reflect on the great lengths God has gone to care for us. All the way to the grave and back and everywhere in between. On the way to the place that he would be arrested, Jesus is describing just like a really dark picture of what things are going to look like for the disciples in um, John chapter 16, but also that their grief would one day turn to joy. And so the chapter ends with Jesus saying this, I've told you these things, so in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. We absolutely know that to be true. But take heart, he says, I have overcome the world. And he has. We know the end of the story. We come to communion now and we're able to reflect, we're able to remember, and we're able to have hope regardless of the circumstances we or those we love find ourselves in. And so now uh, we take the bread, representing Jesus' body. And then we take the cup, representing Jesus' blood spilt for us. And we pray. Jesus, you have overcome the world. What a marvelous relief that we don't have to. God, you care immensely for those who are hurting, who are sick, who are broken, who are in crisis. You yearn to draw them near to your heart. And you care equally as immensely for those who are fatigued, those who are burnt out, scared, and balancing the weight of the world across their shoulders. You yearn to take their burden and exchange it for yours because you've told us your load is light and your burden is easy. We don't have to do enough or be enough to deserve it. So now... Jesus, ease troubled hearts and frantic minds. Release unnecessary expectations and false guilt. Convict us of the ways we try to gain or keep control or importance in our care to others. Show us how to care for ourselves and others in a way that is honoring to you and representative of you. Inspire in us a longing for the lonely place to be in your presence. And God, meet us there when we come. Thank you for your delight and caring for us, for your goodness always. Amen.